morning, everybody. I actually said no to the steel cage death match because I don't like wearing uncomfortable shorts like that. So. I have been assured that I'm not a straw man, that I'm actual, an actual person who actually has something to say this morning. So in my little five-minute sermonette, I'm going to be presenting to you the case against skepticism. And I've titled this little sermonette, Why Pure Energy Exists, Pure Skepticism Does Not Exist. So for those of you, you can do the Vulcan thing. That's fine. That's, it feels good. Come on. You're, you're up now. You've woken up. I'm going to look at the case against skepticism in three parts. I'm going to make the case that skepticism does not make sense, that it doesn't ring true with reality, and it doesn't mesh true or it doesn't mesh with the teachings of the Bible. And so we're going to go quickly. So buckle in and put on your thinking caps, and we're going to dive in. First of all, we're going to look at the fact that skepticism simply doesn't make sense. Skepticism is a philosophy of life or a way of thinking that embraces doubt and denies the fact that we can know anything at all. And what I would say, all of us have an opportunity to ask to the skeptic, are you certain you're a skeptic? Are you certain you're a skeptic? Because if you're certain you're a skeptic, then you're not a skeptic. If you're uncertain about being a skeptic, well, then you, at the very least, are certain about your own uncertainty, which means you also cannot be a skeptic. Skepticism is self-defeating. It implodes on itself. And now, I understand that it's very cool to post ancient quotes on your website. And Soul Pancake did this uh, a little while ago. When they looked at this issue, is skepticism a good thing, they pulled out an obscure quote from obscure individual. I had to go to Wikipedia to actually find out who this individual was. I'm sorry I'm not up on my fourth century Chinese calligraphy. But this was the quote posted on the Soul Pancake website. Large skepticism leads to large understanding. Small skepticism leads to small understanding. No skepticism leads to no understanding. Ah, you know, <laughs> sip our chai tea and, and just kind of marinate that. You know, it Again, it may be cool to, to post something like that and to pontificate about the, the depth and richness of that, but at its core, it doesn't make sense. And Bruce, in a little while, is going to embrace that quote, but he's going to have a very difficult time embracing the sensibility of it because the more that we increase our skepticism, the less opportunity you and I have to arrive at any understanding at all. Because if we go back to the quote, if we can go back one more. What this calligrapher never answers is, at what point, if, we, if the ultimate aim is to, is to end up at understanding, that at what point does the skeptic begin to be skeptical of his own skepticism? If understanding is the goal. Because the moment we arrive at understanding, skepticism has ceased to be. It's disintegrated. It's imploded on itself because we've arrived somewhere. And skepticism at its core denies the, the, under, the, the, the fact that understanding can exist anyway. So at what point do skeptics say, we must now be skeptical of our own skepticism? So, uh, skepticism is self-defeating. I'll also make the case that skepticism doesn't ring true with reality. In fact, you and I are born with certainty. And thank goodness that we are. Because if you and I were born skeptics, we wouldn't be here today. 
we're born with absolute certainty. The moment we hit the ground, we acknowledge, wow, the lights, and it's cold in here. And man, I liked it a heck of a lot better in there. And we're born with the absolute certainty that we have real and certain needs in our life. We're certain that we're hungry. We're certain that we're cold. We're certain that we need touch and soothing voices. We're not at all skeptical of the doctors, of the nurses, of the parents who embrace us. We are born with this embedded sense of certainty. Skepticism does not creep into our life until much later in life. And to what benefit? The Arcade Fire song, I think, speaks to both sides of this issue equally well. But to what benefit does skepticism serve us? Lastly, I want to take us to a portion of the Bible that's written by a Reformed skeptic. Because the Bible will tell us that skepticism does not mesh with its own teachings, with the teachings of the Bible. The words that we'll show on the screen in just a second are written by one of the earliest leaders of the Christian church, the half-brother of Jesus himself, the Apostle James, who was a skeptic for most of his life. He denied the fact that his half-brother was the Son of God, that he was divine. And it wasn't until he came face-to-face -face with the risen Jesus that his whole life changed, and so to speak, the scales came, fell from his eyes. And he pens these words to an early group of Christians, a reformed skeptic writing to people who are struggling with doubt. Some biblical scholars say these are the oldest words that we have available to us in the New Testament. Listen to his words. The Apostle James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts, that is to say the skeptic, is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Words from, from a Reformed skeptic to you and I. Now, in conclusion, as opposed to a life of skepticism, what the Bible here and other places is offering us is the truth and certainty that the God in heaven, our gracious Heavenly Father, loves us and pursues us, and we can know that. And moreover, you and I can be given a life of stability, of wisdom, of assurance, and peace by eschewing skepticism. And who doesn't want that? And with that, I yield the duration of my time to the scholar from Bucknell University, Dr. Bruce Marcy. There you go. I want to know why you're laughing when he introduces me as the scholar. I know it's shocking, you're thinking, shocking that I would be the one who would be presenting the position of for skepticism, but nonetheless, here I am. I agree with everything Mark said except his three points. And I would say that, yes, skepticism is a good thing. I'll actually make the case to you today that not only is skepticism okay, that it's okay to doubt, that it's okay to wonder, but you require skepticism if you're ever going to achieve the life that Mark talks about at the end, a life of wisdom and wholeness and beauty and peace. You require skepticism. 
And without it, you'll fall short of actually what you need to live life well. Skepticism deals with this issue. How do we know? And it, it, it is true in its most extreme form. Skepticism says we don't and we can't and we never will. That is an extreme form of skepticism. But skepticism in general deals with the question, how, how do we know? How do we, how do we understand things? How do we get certain about things? And it, unquestionably, in the postmodern era, that question has been pushed and pushed harder. The, uh, I was reading in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which I know you all were this week too, but the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, as it discusses skepticism, is pretty funny. It, 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 it tries to describe it to us by comparing the Truman Show with the Matrix. I, you know, I honestly, I just didn't expect that in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Nonetheless, there it was. And it talked about, though, how in popular culture, that question of how do we know has been pushed farther and farther from the Truman Show, which would say things may not be as they appear. Oh, but there is something to grasp onto. You know, it, we, once we see past the fake and the fraud, there is something to know to the matrix, which attempts to push the edge of there's not, we don't know what's illusion and what's not. And we can't actually figure it out unless we are the one. And then we can discern through the whole thing. But otherwise, for us normal mortals, you can't see through the edges. And so it pushes this question, how do we, how do we know things? How do we trust? How do we find certainty? In our culture, I, I don't know if it's inbred or whether we've learned this, but I would agree with Mark on this. Skepticism grows as we get older. And one of the reasons it grows is we are used to being oversold. We're used to people telling us this is the best thing, it's a good thing, it's what you need, and knowing full well that they're giving us half the truth and they have an agenda. They want something from us. So we get trained to question and to be skeptical because we're not always given the full truth. So is it hardwired? I don't know. Has our culture promoted it? Absolutely. Is it helpful? It's actually necessary. When we look at skepticism, one of the questions we'll have to ask, though, before I, I make the case is, how much skepticism is a good thing? And there really are two edges. There is the edge of skepticism, which would simply say, you can't trust your senses, and you can't trust your mind. But other than that, you're okay. And so you can't actually come to any understanding of truth. But there's another view of skepticism, which say, says skepticism is the process by which we question that leads us to solid understanding. You see, the, the goal of skepticism, and really the goal of what we're pursuing in any area of our lives, is understanding. It's what we want. We want to know and we want to understand. There's a, a passage in the Old Testament, it's in the, the book of Psalms, which are a series of worship songs written in ancient Israel. And in one of those, a guy named David, who was the king of Israel, who did some very, very bad things. And he was in the middle of repenting in this psalm. And in the midst of that, he, he puts his little gem as he speaks to God. And he said, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Surely you desire truth at my very core. You want me to have wisdom at the deepest place. And that tells me a couple of things. One, we are seeking understanding. It's what God wants for us too, but he wants us to have understanding at a deep level. 
not a superficial level, a level that actually sinks down to our core and can make a difference in how we live. We seek understanding all the time, and we usually do it through questioning. If one of you tells me as I'm on the road and I'm seeking a Starbucks, and you say, oh, I bet there's going to be a Starbucks on the road here, and we're in the midst of Mississippi. If you're from Mississippi, I'm sorry. I'm just assuming there's not a lot of Starbucks in Mississippi. I know, Seth, I know. Ole Miss. At least I pronounce the school right now. I, no, there's not. I don't believe you. And then, lo and behold, we drive off and we find a Starbucks. And now I realize there's actually a Starbucks there. And I didn't believe. And I think I'm absolutely right to question that. But it can be shown that there actually is a Starbucks. Sometimes we question simply to find an answer like that. And it's pretty easy to get the answer like that. See, there are other things that we seek understanding on that take more time. Today, some of you want to know, you want to understand what it means to be a good parent. That, I would submit to you, is going to take some work. You want to understand what it would look like in the, in the vagaries and the ups and downs of life, dealing with a, another human being who's growing up. How do, I, how do I lead this other human being well? That will take s- some work. But your path is to understand what it means to be a good parent. At, at, at another level, so, you know, if you want to understand the nature of time, my guess is that's going to take a long time to discover. And you may not actually get there. But in our life, we seek understanding. We seek knowledge because we have real issues. There are things from the minute to the significant that we need to know in order to live well. I need to know what it means to be a good husband. I need to know what it means to be a good father. I need to know what it means to live through debacles, both exterior and interior. I need to know these things. I need to understand in the inmost parts, what the right paths are. And in our complex and difficult world, my assertion to you is in our need to understand, skepticism leads us toward understanding. It is the pathway in which we find understanding. If you look at, I'm going to show you a passage in The New Testament, this is in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. And in that, the writer, who's a guy named Luke, who also coincidentally wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the stories of Jesus' life, he's talking about a group of people that he presented some concepts to. And it says this, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. I'm guessing the Thessalonians didn't feel great about that, but the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day, to see if what Paul said was true. It's a really interesting passage. It says they were noble. Why were they noble? They weren't not trying to find truth. They weren't not trying to find understanding. They eagerly wanted understanding. And how did they do that? They questioned. They examined. They didn't simply nod their heads and say, okay. They picked through it. They asked questions about that. They looked at, he said this, is that really true? They were considered noble Because in their quest for understanding, they examined, they questioned. Yes, even they doubted. My assertion to you is, skepticism leads to understanding. And without it, you're in danger of accepting answers that are not helpful for your life. 
There was a friend of mine years ago. She had been a strong follower of Christ, and she ended up abandoning her faith. And when I talked to her after the fact, this is what she told me. She said, you know, I I grew up and I believed, and I was told I couldn't question, I couldn't doubt. I had questions, and I had doubts, but I was told I couldn't have those. And so after a while, as the questions rose and rose, and I had no outlet for having to have answered, I I, I thought this, they don't actually have answers to my questions. That's why they won't let me ask them. And so I abandoned my faith. See, you can pretend not to have questions. You can pretend simply to receive everything just as it is. But if you're a thinking human being, you have questions. And it does not behoove you to simply accept what anybody says to you. One of the things Mark says says is that children, you know, we want certainty. And we have it right away, right? We're born with certainty. I would submit to you, while at one level that's true, it's also problematic. And if you are under the age of eight-ish, shut your ears. We are told as children that Santa Claus exists. And as children, did we not believe this? And we didn't ask questions like this. How does he, in fact, get down the chimney? And I've seen, like, in the movies where he's flying over New York City, and at that point, I get nauseous. You know why? Because I'm very forgetful, and I'm thinking, how does he hit every apartment, even the thought of it, every apartment just in New York City? I'm thinking if I was Santa Claus, the millions of disappointed children who I forgot to get to their house. And we never have anybody, there's supposedly a naughty list and a nice list. How come I never see anybody who gets cold? We don't ask any of those questions to children, do we? We're told there's a Santa Claus, and he delivers presents, and that's awesome. And then at some point in our life, we discover that life is not that simple, that everything we hear is not true. And simply receiving everything as if it's true will lead us to a very shallow life with very poor answers. You see, let's get back to this. You require understanding for some serious issues in your life. If you want to be a good parent, you cannot afford to accept everything someone tells you. You can't. If you have a newborn baby, and that's only like 72 of you in the room, already are you not getting people telling you what to do? It's amazing. After our first child, Nan and I were out, and and somebody who we didn't know, they walked up to us and they started giving us advice. Everybody will give you advice about your child. You can't afford to accept what everybody says. You actually have to do the hard work. You have to read something and question it. You have to compare things. You have to discern. You have to be skeptical of every answer that you get. And so you can actually glean through to an understanding that leads you well. If you want to have a solid marriage, you can't afford to take the easiest and the first answer that comes to you. You have to do the hard work of doubting this and questioning this and wondering that. And so you can glean through that and understanding that actually helps your life. Doubt, questioning, skepticism is the equipment by which we actually get to solid understanding for our life. See, for example, today, if you're in here and you question, you wonder, you doubt Mark's 
ending premise, which is that there's a God who's generous, who loves you, and wants to give you a great life. If you're in here and you doubt that, I commend you for doubting that. But what I'd ask you to do then is now do the hard work of exploring that doubt, of discerning through those questions, of comparing different truth claims that are brought to you. Skepticism, Mark, is correct, is a flawed ending. But doubt is part of the vehicle that leads us to understanding. Without that, we end up with superficial, pat answers, which aren't very helpful. I never critique another church from the front, and I won't now. I'm critiquing a whole swath of religiosity at once, which is this. There is a tradition. There is a tradition in American church culture which says this. Do not doubt. Do not question. Receive what I'm giving to you. And millions of people go, okay, don't doubt. Don't be skeptical. Don't be cynical. You should just believe what you're told. Why? Why should I just believe what I'm told? You should not just believe what you're told. When I or Mark or Steve or anybody is up here speaking, you should be ripping through it and wondering. Somebody talked to me afterwards and they said, okay, I was discussing with my wife during your message, and yes, I know that means I was talking while you were talking, but we were just discussing it even as you were speaking. If you do that, keep it down. But you ought to be ripping through it. Don't ever assume that everything I say is true. How could that be? What are the chances that in any 30-minute block, every single thing I'm going to say is true? It's not high. All of us, when we are looking for real answers for our life, we owe it to ourselves to question and to wonder and to doubt and to consider, and to compare, and then to discern. And in that space, we actually gain a faith that's solid and secure. There's a, a guy in the Bible who is nicknamed, after the fact, it wasn't at the time, Doubting Thomas. And Thomas doubted because that's who Thomas was. And I'm going to read one passage to you, but I'm going to tell you about another one. Thomas's doubt served us very well. There's a, there's a place where Thomas was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And there was this day where Jesus is speaking cryptically, which sometimes was his want. And he said to his disciples, I'm going somewhere and I'm, I'm getting a place for you. And you know where I'm going. And, and the, all the other disciples were going like this. They had no idea what he was talking about. They're going, okay. As, as always, they really didn't have a clue what he was saying, but they just nodded along. And then Thomas said, we have no idea what you're talking about. How would we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. And the rest of the disciples are going, shh. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm reading in just a bit. Good question, Thomas. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Through his doubt, through his questioning, Jesus gives us one of these gems of his life that allows us to see that there is a pathway to God and it's through Christ. But it came because Thomas was willing to verbalize his doubt and his skepticism. Okay, now, we jump at the end. Jesus has risen from the dead. I, I admit to you that this is an unusual event. 
And so the other disciples come to Thomas and say, hey, he's Jesus risen from the dead. And Thomas doesn't go, oh, that's awesome. He goes, you've got to be kidding me. Let me get this. I mean, I know you're sad. I know this didn't go away the way you wanted at the end, but okay, look, unless I put my hands in his, my, my fingers in his hands and in his side and I feel the holes from where he was crucified, I'm not going to believe this. He doubted. He was, in my opinion, rightly skeptical. So, I'm going to read now in the, uh, the book of John where Jesus, after he's risen, he kind of, you know, beams in the room. And uh, they says the doors were locked and then Jesus was suddenly there and they went, ah. And then he, he walked up to Thomas and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, we can focus on the stop doubting and go, he never should have doubted. I focus on the fact that his doubt led him to question, which led him to a place where he found an answer so that he could actually have a solid belief. And I would submit to you that his quick little, oh, okay, I believe you, apart from this, would not have built the same level of credibility to what he believed as his process of skepticism and then finding an answer. When does skepticism end? When in the process of inquiry and searching for understanding, we go, okay, this, here we go. This makes sense. This gives strength for my life. This gives me equipment for living. This now is what I hold on to. But questioning leads me to the place of solid, secure belief. If you want understanding about the real issues of your life, you require a level of skepticism so that you can peel through the false, push aside half-truth, and discern exactly what God has for you. Now, you may be skeptical of this, but I would say I agree with Mark. At the end of the day, there's a God who is generous who loves you, who passionately pursues you, and who longs to give you pathways for life that are whole and full of peace and beauty. You may be skeptical of that. I understand. What I would say is this. Let us not take the route of the slacker and allow our skepticism to be the end of the, the, end of the, the, end of the day. We submit to you that there is a God out there who loves you passionately. If you are skeptical of that, there is room for you. And what I would call upon you to do is explore those questions. Ask people. Read material. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Take your skepticism and make it a vehicle so that at the end you can go, you know what? I went down this path. I explored it. I asked questions. I didn't hold anything back. And now I have a grasp and understanding of what I believe and what is true through which I can live powerfully. See, what I do not want any of us to do is to squelch our doubts. Because if you squelch our doubts, your doubts, they're still there. You've just suppressed them. Take your wondering. Take your speculation. And use that as a vehicle to lead you to understand in the most important issues of your life. Is skepticism a good thing? It's absolutely essential.
It will bring you to a place of understanding for your life. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us to be people who are not afraid of our questions? To will walk through whatever doubts, who can face them head on. Would you make us a community that revels in the questions and seeks with nobility understanding of who you are, of who you are towards us, and of how you want us to live. We want understanding. We pray these things, we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come into this time of worship, we always begin our time of worship with